As mentioned before, our series is called by name. We started this last week with the story of Mary, that her resurrection experience at the tomb happens when Jesus speaks her name. It's an opportunity for her to recognize Jesus and to recognize herself and to be called into a larger mission beyond herself. She's given a task. Go and tell. Go and tell the disciples. And she gets to preach the first Easter sermon, I have seen the Lord. Our series is about recognizing God as we come to know ourselves. That as we hear the story, you're called by name. You're known by God by name. That we might know ourselves better and know our work and our role and our responsibility. We find ourselves in the season of Easter. Now, we talk about Easter season because Easter is not just one day. Now, I I promise you, you probably didn't greet anybody with a happy Easter this morning. David Stradling is not going to be here with the bunny costume today. But this is a season of life. Not unlike Lent or Advent, Easter is a season that carries us from the resurrection of Jesus to the birth of the church at Pentecost. And we understand the pattern of seasons in our lives, not just the change of season as we've seen the growth that surrounds us on our hillside, we get that there are times in our lives that are seasons, that are transitional, that for such a time as this, I would dwell with or deal with these things. Maybe it's a, a, a season of hope and expectancy where you're, you're, you're waiting on new life or new birth. Maybe it's a season of waiting and watching because you are walking a journey with an aging parent or someone who is in transition in their life. That there are seasons in life where we know joy, there are seasons in life where we know grief, there are seasons in life where we struggle. And every time there is a change in seasons, it can for us be something that is difficult to know what to do next. I was mindful of that last night. I had the chance to watch on social media a number of people who posted their experience of watching the final performance of Phantom of the Opera on Broadway in New York City. It sounds weird to say that because Phantom's been there for 35 years, right? There are people in this room who are younger than Phantom has been on Broadway. But the thing that was cool about last night's show is that the audience refused to leave. They watched the chandelier get taken back up into the rafters and they cheered and they applauded. And meanwhile, the cast backstage getting their mics off and changing into their street clothes and the people still wouldn't go and they applauded. And when the cast came back out, they said, one more song, one more song. And so just into some handheld mics and little groups of people, the cast of Phantom of the Opera sang, happy trails to you until we meet again. (laughs) To a people who were in the middle of a season in life they never thought they'd see. The end of one of the longest running shows on Broadway. Well, that sense of what to do with a change in seasons and a change in life is exactly where the disciples are in our story. Because while Mary has come and said to them, I have seen the Lord, he is resurrected, we are sent back to the place to meet him at the lakeside. Instead, not knowing what to do with themselves, they wait and they watch. And in fact, they hide themselves in the upper room where they'd had the Last Supper out of a fear of the crowds. They ask themselves, what if they decide to do to us what they did to Jesus? And so there they shelter in place. They wait, and they watch, and they wonder, and it is in the midst of that fearful moment that 10 of the 11 remaining have a session with Jesus. 
He appears in their midst. Door was locked and Jesus is standing there. And his first words to them are, peace be with you. He understands their concern, their fear, their frustrations. And he offers a sense of comfort. Do not be afraid. Peace be with you. And he breathes upon them love, hope, possibility, and just a smidge of the spirit that will come upon them in the birth of the church at Pentecost. And then just like that, Jesus is gone from their midst. And they are amazed. Now, you notice I said there were 10 of the remaining 11 in the room. There was one missing. And it's his story we center in on today. Let's take a look at the text from the Gospel of John, shall we? 20th chapter. But Thomas... One of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail prints in his hands and put my finger in the nail prints and put my hand in his side, then I will not believe. After seven days, his disciples were again inside with the door shut. And Thomas was with them. And so Jesus came and he stood amongst them and he said to them again, peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand here and place it in my side. Do not be faithless, but be believing. Well, Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now the thing to note about this particular story about Thomas is that we have come to know this as the doubting Thomas story. He has questions about the resurrection of Jesus and he didn't get the chance to see Jesus the first time around. He has clear frustrations. But the thing that's of note in the very first line of this section is that Thomas, well before we come to know him as Doubting Thomas, already has a nickname. He's got a reputation. He is Didymus, the twin. Didymus being the Greek word meaning twin. His whole life has been defined by the fact that he was born with and looks like another person on this planet. It's how they would differentiate from the other. When you were talking about a group of Thomases, and as we baptized a Caden Thomas this morning, I said, well, from an Andrew Thomas to a Caden Thomas, I bless you. But how do you know which Thomas we're talking about? Oh, it's not Thomas the farmer, it's Thomas the twin. He was known by the fact that his face matched another. And his whole identity was wrapped up in that. Now, parents of multiples will understand this dynamic. And sometimes you reinforce that by dressing your kids alike. But that pattern of which is which, how do we know them? His reputation starts as being a twin. He's defined by his family relationship, by his family dynamic. And some of the nicknames that we carry in our lives and our stories are about exactly the same kind of thing. I was born Andrew, but I've been Andy my whole life of my parents choosing to call me that. But there was a whole season in my life when I was growing up where I was known as Tom's son because of my dad's reputation in our annual conference. And there came a time where that dynamic began to slowly switch, but that was how people would introduce me. Without even knowing my name, they'd just say, oh, this is Tom's son. 
In the same way that for our Thomas this morning, they just say, this is the twin. Oh. His deep struggle is that he misses out. In fact, there's a, a, a condition that, that millennials are into now that, that I think is fair. It's called FOMO, F-O-M-O, fear of missing out. And that pattern and that fear can define our experience that we look at social media, we look at the lives that we see online and in the press, and we say, why isn't my life like that? Or why wasn't I at that party? Why aren't my friends these people? Thomas not only has a fear of missing out, he missed Easter. So what do you do when you feel like you're missing out on Easter? Well, for him, it was a very practical one. He's left with the question, why wouldn't Jesus, who clearly seems to know who's in the room and how to get in there, not wait for me? He's missing out on Easter. Are there seasons? Are there times? Maybe this is a year where you feel like you're missing out. Maybe this year that family couldn't come together in the way that you expected, or this is a first Easter where you're missing someone you've lost in the last year. Maybe when you hear the phrase missing out on Easter, you think back to 2020, back when we were told, you know, if we just shelter in place for two weeks, we'll all be back in our houses of worship and back to work, you know, but then we had that first Easter that was video only where we watched in our PJs from our couches and it felt like something was missing. That's Thomas's experience of Easter. Mary's last week was grief. His is missing out. Something is missing. And he longs for it. And he gets this new reputation for the next 2,000 years around an assertion. I have missed out and I will not believe that you are just telling me what has happened. I'm not going to believe until I touch the nails and I see the wounds. I put my hand in his side. Then I'll believe. You know what surprises me about Thomas's story? Is that it takes a week for Jesus to show back up. Did you notice that? Seven days later when they were all gathered in the room. We have this vision of Jesus fixing our problems and meeting our need with immediacy. Right? We treat prayer and we treat our relationship with God the way I treat Camille when I have a head cold. I need you and I need you now. Fix it and make it better. Give me whatever medicine I need. Feel bad for me. (laughs) Thomas feels bad. He has said aloud what he needs to believe in the resurrection, and it is not immediately relieved of him. No, he sits with that for a full week. If there was any justice in the world, karma would have been swift for Thomas. I saw that this morning. I mentioned I was in Fraser Park with our confirmation class. I drove down this morning about 5.30 in the morning. Very few people on the 5. Perfect time to drive the 5 is about 5.45 in the morning. And between Castaic and home, driving south on the 5, I was passed aggressively and dangerously by a sedan that ripped past me on the right-hand side. Had to be doing about 85 or 90. I said, well, I pray for that guy. I hope he gets home safe. Gosh, what what a terrible choice. If only there was some hero here to make sure dangerous people weren't like that on the road. Well, wouldn't you know it, at Magic Mountain Parkway, as I was coming up the hill doing about 68 miles an hour, one of CHP's finest motorcycle officers had pulled over that sedan. Now, I don't wish ill, oh, yeah, I don't wish ill on that guy. No, by any means, it's probably a bigger headache than he wanted in his morning. But hear me say, there are times where we feel like God ought to work that way. 
If only Jesus would show up to relieve Thomas's concerns and frustrations and do it right away. But no, this resurrection invitation that Jesus offers to Thomas takes time. He lets him sit in his worry. He lets him sit in his frustration. So if you're in a season in life where you've got doubts, where you've got questions, where you've got frustrations with church, with God, with life, it may be that this is a season of sitting in it, but God still knows your name. Because a week later, Jesus shows up. He says, peace be with you. And then his first words to Thomas are see, touch, and believe. See the hole? Put your finger in it. See the side? Touch it. But believe. It's this challenge that Jesus lays out for Thomas that says, if you need proof, here is proof. Come and get it. Jesus says, see, touch, and believe. And that was enough. That's the thing that strikes me about this story is that Jesus, absent from the room, knows Thomas's need. And in knowing Thomas's need, he's able to speak directly to it. I know what you've been sitting with. I know the struggles that you have. And that is enough for Thomas. Sometimes in life, when we feel burdened, when we feel struggled, it is not that we need people to fix it. It is that we need to know that we have been heard and understood. Do you understand where I'm coming from? Do you understand the struggle I'm facing? Can't you see how I'm hurting? It is enough to be recognized, it is enough to be known, and that is exactly what works for Thomas. He knows his need. So much so that Thomas doesn't take advantage of his claim. Thomas says, I'm not going to believe unless I touch, unless I feel, unless I... That's when I can believe. Instead, Jesus comes, offers him the opportunity, and Thomas says, you know me. In fact, the way he phrases it is, my Lord and my God, and it's one of the first places and one of only a few places where Jesus is directly referred to as divine. Thomas begins to worship because Christ knows him and his story. And Jesus calls him by name. And he calls him into a pattern of grace and possibility. He says, Thomas... You have believed because you have seen, because you have heard, but greater are those who have not seen. This side of history, this side of tradition, those of us who have this story to tell in our hearts, but don't have the same opportunities to pierce hands and sides, those of us who are believing out of a sense of trust. Because the simple truth for Thomas is that his name is more than his reputation. Jesus knows his need, he calls him by name, and he comes into a pattern where Thomas is able to realize that your name is more than your reputation. For the 40-odd years of Thomas' life, he'd lived into a singular reputation as the twin. His work didn't change that identity. His following of Christ as a disciple hadn't changed that identity. His name had to be more than his reputation. For 2,000 years since, we've called him Doubting Thomas. And if you're following my sermon notes on the app, you'll notice that at the top it says Doubting Question Mark. I feel that's such a failing of Thomas to refer to him as Doubting Thomas, but that is a reputation that Thomas the twin has inherited for two millennia. 
that he had this one question because he missed out on Easter, suddenly he becomes doubting Thomas. But his name has to be more than his reputation. Otherwise, you forget that it is Thomas, Thomas and Thomas alone, who has demonstrated courage and strength. He's got more in common with Thomas the tank engine in being brave and good than he does with the doubting Thomas label that we give to him. Remember, there are 10 men locked in a room for fear of the crowds. Who's not there? Thomas. Why? We don't know what he's doing, but we know that out of 11 people, he was the one who was brave enough and willing to go out and face those crowds. Maybe it was to meet a need. Maybe he was just sick and tired of the company he was keeping. For whatever reason, Thomas was out of the room, and he was only the only one brave enough to do that. How do we know that he's also brave? Well, the Gospel of John also tells us a story. That when Jesus goes to resurrect Lazarus, when he leaves for Bethany, his disciples are convinced that that choice is going to get him killed. And it is Thomas and Thomas alone who says, well... Let's go with him so that we might die as well. It's not just doubting Thomas. It's not just Thomas the twin. There's a confidence. There's a conviction. Your name is more than your reputation. And my friends, that is a truth that you need to hear. Your name is more than how people know you. By your craft, by your work, by your reputation, by your social media presence, by the things you've done or the things that you have left undone. You are more than the parent you are. You are more than the child you are or were to your parents. You are more than your poor choices and you are more than your best choices. Your name to God is more than your reputation. So when I say to you that this is a series about being called by name, it is about knowing that you matter to God specifically. Not because you're a twin, not because you're a doubter, not because you're brave or courageous, not because you're a great businessman or woman, not because you're the best bank president or the best sweeper of, of garbage. Whatever you might do, it is not a matter of your reputation. We celebrate a Jesus who knows you because it is only when he speaks to Thomas and knows his specific need and his specific place in the story that he can equip someone who is feeling lost and left out and allow them to become an apostle and leader in the church. Church, when I say you're called by name, it's not just because Jesus loves you. It's because there is a work and a pattern that we have to do to be here for good, to be changers of the world, that our identity is more than what we've done and where we've been. We are beloved children of God, known in our baptism, just as surely as we saw it with Caden and Harper. And beyond that, to know that in our baptism and in our work, we are called to be kingdom builders and world lovers and world changers. Jesus knows your name. Next week, we're going to celebrate baptismal renewal. We'll all have the chance from our little prophet here to remember and say, yeah. To know that we've been called by name and that our identity is more than the bits and the pieces of our story. Your stories matter. They define who we are. They help us to know how God is at work in each of us. They're a chance for us to recognize both the need and brokenness of the human experience and also the wonderful work that God's grace and redemption is doing 
But Jesus knows you beyond those stories and those bits and pieces. And he calls you by name. Let's pray.